this is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. Today I have my good friend Amanda Berman with the Zionist Movement, founder of the Zionist Movement. Actually, Amanda, you were one of my very first podcasts, so welcome back. Thank you. And I got such good feedback. So many people listen to that podcast. So many people are talking about it and excited to hear more of your podcast. Well, you know, this is my very first one where we're doing it not in the studio. And I know you're in New York right now, but the reason... I wanted to do this is because so many things have happened since we spoke, especially in the last few weeks. But I first want to give our listeners a little recap of what you do. And in elevator pitch language, like they say in Hollywood, you basically try to create a safe space for Zionists who fight for liberal social justice causes. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. And and that's, that's exactly right. It is basically that simple. It's sort of unbelievable when you think about it that Zionists don't really have a, a safe space right now in progressive spaces, saying that we are the creators of all of the social justice movements that we continue to want to fight for in the United States. And it's been difficult for those of us, which really the vast majority of American Jews, who really are deeply committed to civil rights, social justice, equality for all people, and our hearts and our, our votes and, you know, everything that we fight for is in that space. And um, we're told often that when we show up to participate, we have to check our Zionism at the door, that Zionism is somehow offensive or, you know, that it's something that is inconsistent with our progressive values otherwise. And so Zionists exist in order to combat that and, and explain how Zionism is really uh, the original progressive movement and remains a progressive value. And what was that original incident that created the aha moment? Well, there are a few. Um, we launched at the Chicago Slut Walk in August of 2017. And honestly, we launched by accident. But we realized in, at that moment that by showing up in these spaces, proud of our identities, talking about the inherent nature of the Zionist identity for Jewish people. And uh, we realized that by showing up in the space, being proud of ourselves, we could be more effective allies for other communities because nobody wants an ally who's ashamed of their own identity or, or their own civil rights movement. So when we were there, and, and the reason we went there proudly as Zionesses was because the Slutwalk had endorsed the policy of the Chicago Dyke March a couple of months earlier um, and said that Jewish stars would be banned as, quote, Zionist symbols of racism and oppression. And it was just a bridge too far for those of us who really care about the issues that are being addressed and, and fought for in those spaces who were just really sick of the, the blatant anti-Semitism that existed there. Now, it's been a good year and a half since you started the movement. What kind of opposition have you encountered? So it's interesting. In the spaces that we want to reach, we have encountered almost no resistance. And it just goes to show that there was such a void in the community in terms of um, a place where people could be committed to all of their values without checking any piece of themselves at the door, a place where they could be very proudly liberal, very proudly progressive, and very proudly committed to Jewish self-determination. And the whole community has really rallied around Zionists. I mean, we have people from all of the institutional groups, all of the women's groups, all of the, the liberal groups in under the Jewish umbrella saying, my constituents want to be part of Zionists. And so even if we're you know, dealing with a refugee issue or a civil rights issue or a policy issue. When we are talking about activism, our people want to march with you. So, so give me an example, Amanda, of a, an, an event, uh, an activity, a protest that you were involved with recently. 
Um, our most recent was the Families Belong Together March on June 30th. We've been preparing for a big shift in our activities in the coming months, which is why we haven't done a march recently. But we, our last march was on June 30th. It was the Families Belong Together. It was in response to the Trump administration policy of separating families at the border and um, putting people in detention centers. And it was a pretty extraordinary moment and day because we were able to build relationships, again, just by showing up in the space, proud of our own identities. We were able to build relationships with people in um, immigrant organizations and refugee organizations and all kinds of different social justice organizations who wanted to learn from other communities that also care deeply about this issue. It's interesting because you're you're like... You're you're like marching next to activists who usually march against Israel. How do you deal with that? Have you uh, encountered some friction with that? Because usually you see them on campuses with uh, pro-Palestinian movements and the whole idea of intersectionality. And yet you're in that world and they accept you because you have your T-shirts. You're a proud Zionist social justice warrior, which is almost uh, Mm -hmm. it's unusual. So tell us about some of the encounters you've had with people sure, who are not I'm, I'm happy with people to. who are not as pro-Israel as you are right. in your space. Right, I'm happy to, but I want to push back a little bit on the suggestion that it's unusual to be a proud Zionist in these spaces. It's not that there aren't proud Zionists in the spaces; it's that they're not um, showing up openly proud. Exactly, that's what and I that, meant. It, they're not that visible. No, I know, I know. Right, right, I know. And so what we're doing is just helping people basically come out of the closet as Zionists. And we've been working very closely with an organization called A Wider Bridge, which is an LGBT organization that also focuses on, um, you know, protecting the Jewish people and the Jewish state. And, and they also had quite director, an incident a couple of years had, ago. Remember? Yeah. 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 Lori Brower. That was the right. Chicago Chicago. Um, the Chicago Tech incident. And so we're, we're really proud and really excited to work with them. And their executive director, Ty Gregory, recently gave a speech where he said the pro-Israel community has so much to learn from the LGBT community about coming out of the closet, about standing proudly as who you are and what is inside intrinsically, inherently who you are and what you care about, what what civil rights issues you care about. So just just wanted to I know you understand that, but I want to make sure the listeners understand. Well, um, you know, it seems has, to me. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, it seems to me that uh, campuses would be an incredibly important space for you because this is that sort of the Petri dish where you see a lot of this conflict arise, isn't it? College campuses. Yeah. And campus is a, a big goal for us. Again, we are growing exponentially at the craziest rate. There's just been such a demand for this community to to be built and to invite more people to join us. And we are looking at the campus space and trying to figure out the most effective way to be there. I totally agree with you that it's absolutely crucial for Zionists because there are students all over the country who come to college who are proud Jews, proud Zionists. They don't necessarily know, and I don't believe that they should be expected to know, but they don't necessarily know anything about the politics and policies of the state of Israel. They know that Zionism is part of what it means to be a Jew. They know that, you know, the Jewish people have been united in the diaspora by one thing, and that's the drive to Zion, to our sovereign state and self-determination in it. So when they get to campus and they want to participate in whatever social justice group best represents you know, their, their policies, the, the issues that they care about, 
they're often told you have to pick one. They face this false choice, this litmus test, where you are really not welcome in some of these progressive spaces until you disavow Israel or even Hillel. You know, a lot of times Hillel is brought in, which is not a pro-Israel organization. It's a Jewish organization, a religious organization that helps Jews connect with other Jews on campuses. So the reason why Zionist is so critical on campus is because students need to have a place where they can be both Zionist and progressive, where they can be active in all of these spaces and say, hey, I'm a proud Zionist and I don't have to tell you what I think about settlements. Maybe I hate them. Maybe I don't know anything about them, but it shouldn't be you know, a precursor for me to be welcome in, for example, the Women's March. Is that is that one of the arguments you encounter a lot when somebody says, look at how Israel is uh, treating the Palestinians? It's all the time. It's become in progressive spaces when there's kind of a, a menu of issues, your your support for or really demonization of Israel is really one of the ways that you can gain the most credibility in some of these spaces. And that's another thing that we're working so hard to challenge, the suggestion that in order how to do have... You do, how do you handle that? You, you just, you have to show up. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's really true. You have to show up and explain that you don't need to bash Israel to have credibility as an American progressive. If you care about issues in America, if you care about equal pay for equal work and you care about health care and you care about gun control and the climate and immigrants and people of color, police brutality. I mean, there are so many issues that are real progressive issues that so many of us care so deeply about. And when we're forced to, to face these litmus tests about Israeli politics and policy, you know, the, the, sovereign politics of a foreign government 7,000 miles from New York, where I am, it's a total distraction from the issues that real progressives want to talk about. Does your platform include criticism of Israeli policies vis-a-vis the Palestinians? No, it doesn't. I'll say really quickly, just to finish my, my sentence before, was that if somebody comes to you and says that you have an obligation, if you really want to be considered a progressive, you have an obligation to bash Israel or to voice some kind of criticism of the Israeli government, that person is not a real progressive because that person really doesn't care about advancing justice in America. They're focusing on an issue that has nothing to do with what we're facing as American women and American progressives and American liberals. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, our platform does not address any of the complicated politics and policies of the state of Israel. And that is you know, beyond saying that, that Israel is the national homeland of the Jewish people and Zionism is the self-determination movement of the Jewish people in our historic national homeland. The reason that we don't get into any of these complex policy issues or political issues is because, again, they're super complicated. And the second you do, you're alienating people. And it's okay for American progressives to have a variety of different opinions about Israeli politics and policies. That's totally fine. And within the Zionist community, there are lots of different debates on lots of different issues that relate not only to Israeli politics and policies, but to American politics and policies vis-a-vis Israel. That's totally fine. But from an organizational perspective, it doesn't make sense for us to say, for example, all settlements are bad. We oppose every single settlement. And that is the official position of Zionists. And I think we've talked about this, David. It's because when somebody asks me that question, my response to them is, are you talking about Modayin elites or are you talking about Amona? Mm-hmm. And most people, and when I say most people, I mean, I ask this question to a major, major, one of the oldest and most established Jewish organizations, their leadership council, was 100 people that I was speaking to. And I asked them how many of them knew the difference between Modayin elite and Amona. 
and two people out of more than a hundred raised their hands that they knew the difference. So when we're asked these kinds of questions, these black and white litmus test questions, the point that I want to make is that the people asking the questions don't understand the questions that they're asking. Mm-hmm. And it becomes such a distraction. And the second you say anything, you're alienating people who either know nothing or know more than you do or know what you do and disagree. And I want us to be a big tent home for anyone who wants to fight for civil rights, gender equality and social justice in America, racial justice, all of these issues that we care about without having to have any opinions about what is going on on the other side of the world. Okay, so basically your definition of Zionism is a big tent definition, which is consistent with the United Nations resolutions of 1949, right? The right to the Jewish people, to their homeland. That's something everybody can agree with. Yep. Yeah, because it's really fascinating to me, you know, as a former branding guy, how you've taken a word that's got polluted in the past few years, you know, and used the word Zionism. And yet, by sort of shifting it and calling it Zioness, you're almost trying to redeem a, a word that's that's been dirtied up, if you will, for lack of a better word. And it, that's part of your movement, is you're elevating a word that's taken a beating. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. We are talking a lot about reclaiming terms that are important to us, like the term progressive, for example. As I was just saying, when somebody forces you to pass a litmus test about something they don't even understand, that's not progressive. It's exclusionary, it's divisive, and it's cruel. Um, and we want people who are progressive to really care about progressive issues, not these kind of issues. Uh, there's a pride factor that a lot of groups on the left have sort of overlooked, if you will. You know, like uh, I look at groups like J Street, for example, and they're so political that the pride of being pro-Israel is missing. What you've added to the space is pride of being pro-Israel in a progressive context. And that's pretty novel, Amanda. Thank you. I think so, too. I think it's to see the reaction of people who, you know, every day we're getting emails and messages from people who say, thank you so much. I feel like I have a political home back. I was so politically homeless for so long. And now I feel like I know where I belong, where there's a community of people who hold the same ideology that I do. And it's, you know, Mark Melman just did a poll. I'm sure you're familiar with it. If I know you recently, um, just before the, um, the midterms, do you know what I'm talking about? Of course. Yeah, (laughs) I knew you would. Um, okay. So he, well, he did, he did a poll just before the primaries and he found that I think it was 76% of American Jews were going to be voting for Democrats in, I'm sorry, not the primaries, the midterms. And it was interesting because there were a lot of questions kind of swirling in the community. Were American Jews going to abandon the Democratic Party because Trump has ostensibly been, you know, so supportive of some of these policy issues that the Jewish community has cared about? And the conclusions, Mark's conclusions were that, no, the Jewish community is absolutely not abandoning the Democratic Party, is absolutely not pivoting to vote for Trump. The Jewish community is very committed to our domestic liberal ideals, and that's, that's not changing. And so he looked back after the election and found that actually 82% of American Jews, more than he had previously estimated, 82% of American Jews voted straight down the line for Democrats in, in November, a couple of weeks ago. 
So the point is, this is Zionist is the ideological home of the vast majority of American Jews. Of those 82%, or actually, I'm sorry, it was 84%. Of those 84%, 92 said they believe that the Democratic Party is pro-Israel. And so these are American Jews who care very deeply about the safety and security of Israel, but will not abandon any movement that they think is advancing social justice at home. Now, do you have cognitive dissonance? Because I know how much you love Israel, and yet you see a president that I'm sure you oppose very deeply uh, do something good <laughs> for Israel, like move the embassy to Jerusalem. Is that um, like, Do I have cognitive dissonance? Yeah, how do you, how do you deal with I that? Think, I mean, <laughs> It's, I Listen, I believe that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It is the capital of Jewish people. It's been that way for thousands of years. But it's not even a question for me. I have to be honest, as happy as I am, and I sincerely mean that, that the embassy is in Jerusalem, I have a lot of concerns about the politicization of Israel, which I think is a, a huge part of what the Trump administration is doing. Mm-hmm. And it's not paying off because, again, if you look at Mark you'll see that American Jews are not pivoting. And I'll say also, obviously, without naming any names, I've spoken to Jewish leaders who have said, you know, we're concerned. And I swear, I mean, this really shook me, honestly. We're concerned that Trump is going to react to the fact that the Jewish community is not turning around and supporting him, despite all of this, you know, ostensible support for these, these kinds of policies and turn against us in a way that's really scary. And so for me to hear that from from a, a very respected Jewish leader is, you know, that for me, for me, is scary. Like we have to walk on eggshells and we have to show our dear leader, you know, that how grateful we are or he's not going to do the right thing. I mean, did he do did he move the embassy because Jerusalem is the capital of Israel? Did he move it because U.S. law says that he asked you because the Jerusalem Embassy Relocation Act in 1995 said that the, that Israel is the capital of Jerusalem is the capital of Israel? Or did he do it because he wanted something in return, mm-hmm. you know? And so that is something I think we need to be thinking more about instead of just, you know, reflexively saying he's the most pro-Israel president ever. I think we need to be thinking about what happens next. Does he turn against us if we don't all of a sudden say that we're okay with the incendiary and hateful rhetoric coming out of his administration? Or does he, you know, does he actually care about doing the right thing? I mean, you know, it's, it's just not that simple. Well, I'll ask him next week at the Hanukkah party. I'll tell him, uh, he's okay. the president. Okay, let me yeah. know. But tell it's com- him, Zionist it, really wants to know. <laughs> it's complicated because you speak to the people who vote in Israel and who have to live with the consequences of their democratic choices, who send their kids to war. And, you know, we've always had, you and I, a certain respect for the democratic choices of Israeli voters because they're the ones that are on the front lines. And so many of them see Trump's policies as being so supportive and pro-Israel. And it's the big dichotomy between how they see the policies of President Trump and how American Jewry sees it. Yeah, I, I I certainly agree with that. And it is a challenge. And I do respect, you know, so immensely the sacrifices that are made by the Israeli people to protect the state, not just for themselves, but for us, too. I mean, there there is such an alarming rise in anti-Semitism and people are leaving the UK in droves and leaving France in droves and making Aliyah. And, you know, I I I respect, you know, more than anything that there are people there who are who are fighting this fight so that we don't have to and that we know that we'll always have a home there. I think it's just difficult. Uh, A lot of my friends in the progressive uh, world, they just hate the president so much they can't see past that hatred. But some of them recently, you know, 
she told me, look, I hate the guy, but what he did, this thing was good for Israel, this thing wasn't good, this thing was good, you know, it's difficult to call balls and strikes because he's such a divisive figure and he's so explosive and he's just like a bundle of emotions that are that I see on people anytime his name comes up but at the end of the day some of the things have been good for Israel however difficult it is for many of us to swallow you know uh, like yeah some, I'm not I'm not gonna I mean? I'm not yeah. gonna deny that I will yeah. say my concern, as you know, and as I sort of alluded to earlier, my concern is that short-term gain may be long-term problems. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really hope that this doesn't become a further polarization of the issue of support for Israel. You know, the 2020 election is going to be very interesting to see where the candidates are going on this and whether Israel becomes, you know, one of the many issues that Democrats want to reverse on because they think that Trump is so supportive of it. And obviously I, I won't support that if that, you know, if that's what happens, right. I'll be very vocal in my belief that support for Israel is just part of uh, what it means to be American at this point. You know, if we care about liberal democracy, it, it's been abandoning Israel is simply not an option no matter what party you're in. But I, you know, I am worried. I am worried. Right. Right. And I and think that Trump will bear some responsibility, not all of it, but some responsibility for, turning this issue into a political weapon. Yeah, it's fascinating, too, what's going to happen with the famous peace plan. So there's lots of things to keep an eye on. But on Zionists, a major development happened in the past few weeks because I know you were involved with the Women's March, correct? Uh, well, I don't know. We're involved to the extent I mean, you, that we participate. Exactly. You participated <laughs> yeah. in the Women's March. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, over the past year or so, they've had such bad press in terms of the connections from the founders with Farrakhan, with anti-Semitic statements and so forth. Can you summarize for our listeners what that's about? Sure. I mean, I, the summary is simple. The leaders of the, the, the self-proclaimed leaders, I mean, they're not real leaders of anything, but the organizers at the top of the Women's March are anti-Semites. That's the summary. Mm -hmm. um, they... They don't just perpetuate anti-Semitism. They traffic in it. They say things that are explicitly anti-Semitic. Just a couple of weeks ago, Linda Sarsour, who I think is the most notorious of them, tweeted something about dual loyalty that, um, you know, that, that Jews would be more supportive of Israel than they would of America. And this is, you know, one of the oldest and most explicit anti-Semitic canards that our community has faced in, in all different communities and societies. Um, and she is, she's totally unabashed about it. Recently, there's been um, an increase in attention on the Farrakhan issue, which has come up repeatedly over the last couple of years that Linda and Tamika Mallory, one of the other organizers of the four organizers, they're very close to Farrakhan and the, the Nation of Islam, and they refuse to disassociate. They refuse to condemn the hateful rhetoric, not only against Jews, but against the LGBTQ community. It's interesting. Farrakhan is on the left where David Duke is on the right. I mean, they actually have retweeted each other before. David Duke has retweeted Farrakhan and said, I totally agree with this man in terms of his hatred of the Jewish people. Farrakhan just recently called Jews termites. And Linda refuses and Tamika refuses to say, that's unacceptable from someone that I consider such a leader of my community. And so the original Women's March founder, which is a woman named Teresa Shook from Hawaii, she was the one who had the idea that women should march on Washington in opposition to the Trump administration taking office in January of 2016. Teresa posted on Facebook that enough was enough. She couldn't sit by any longer. She couldn't allow this divisive rhetoric to totally destroy 
this enormous movement, maybe one of the most important social justice movements in American history, is certainly the largest. And she had to stand up and say, these women cannot lead this movement anymore. We need new leadership that will include everyone and will make sure that Jewish people are welcome in these spaces. That made and a lot been, of news. Been, that, 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 yeah. was, that really made a lot of news. As far as the Zionist movement that you run, did, what was your involvement in sort of lobbying uh, in, in that organization? Did you do some lobbying to get them to condemn anti-Semitism? We have. We have done a lot of work, mostly behind the scenes. We've been making calls. We've been communicating with leaders um, of Jewish institutions and organizations and, and non-Jewish institutions and organizations all over the country and asking them to put pressure on these women to either resign or to make clear that Jews are welcome and, and they don't have to pass any litmus test to participate. And we're really happy to see what's happening. Interestingly, Linda Sarsour put out a statement saying that she's been so... Um, you know, isolated or whatever words she used, saying that people are attacking her in progressive spaces and calling her an anti-Semite. And, and one of, she cited, I think, three different examples of people exposing her essentially as a bigot. And one of the three was a petition that Zionist did last year when she was speaking on a panel at the New School, uh, very ironically, about anti-Semitism. And within a week, we had 22,000 people sign this petition saying Linda has absolutely no place talking about anti-Semitism other than from the perspective of someone who foments it. And she was upset about that. And she, you know, she, in her statement just last week on Facebook, she said this, this petition about the new school is one of three examples of people coming after me and essentially exposing me. So we're really no, proud she of that. did. She did uh, release a statement. We covered it in the Jewish Journal, like hoping she would forge better relationships with the Jewish community. Yes. It wasn't yes. an apology or a condemnation of Farrakhan's anti-Semitism. There wasn't. And I was quoted in that article. So thank you for right. reaching out. And I said, you know, you can't say on one hand that you want to forge a better relationship with the Jewish community, while on the other hand, you're praising and really idolizing one of America's most notorious and most influential anti-Semites. This is not a random guy. This is a person who really has a lot of capital, social and, and otherwise, and political and otherwise. So, you know, for her to say that was just, I think, absurd, and it didn't seem to shift the narrative at all. I think people are are just sick of her, and I think mm -hmm. it's really time for new leadership in the movement. And I think we're positioning ourselves really well to have a role um, in some capacity to to remind American women and American progressives that Jews and Zionists have been not only welcome in these spaces, but at the forefront of them. Um, so we are really looking forward to whatever comes next with the Women's March and, and our participation in it. Do you know Teresa Shook? Do you know we don't. Her? I actually have reached out. And if anyone who's listening has a direct contact, I would love to speak to her and just thank her, first of all, for her courage, because it's really not easy to make statements like that. And I think she's extraordinary for doing it. And I would love to see if she wanted to participate with Zionists. I mean, this is a mini earthquake in that movement because you're looking at now one of the most prominent movement in America, the Women's March, and she just sort of broke the ice. It's a little bit of a Richter scale, you know. I'm yeah, well, she did, it, she did it just after Alyssa Milano and Deborah Messing spoke out, you know, for Correct. the same issue. And so it, it really is, I agree, it's, it's, I don't know if it's even mini. I think it's an earthquake for sure. I think what Zionists has been trying to call attention to from the beginning, and people are paying attention now, and we are thrilled. And I want to say really quickly, one of the interesting things for me is, is to see the success of our strategy. 
there have been a lot of people in the Jewish community and in the feminist community saying you can't go to the Women's March, you can't participate because you're endorsing the bigotry of the space. And the Zionist mission has been not to allow bigots to own American feminism. And if we stay home and boycott these spaces, we can't do anything to save them from this exploitation. We can't, you know, we can't be leaders by sitting on our couches and complaining about it on social media. And so that's why we continue to show up and why we're mobilizing all across the country and mass. We now have 20 chapters participating in the Women's March, and we are seeking to synagogues and, and different communities and um, other Jewish institutional groups. And we are going to have thousands of people all over the country and cities everywhere saying, we are super excited that there is a movement for us to talk about American feminism, and we are not going to allow this space to be exploited by anti-Semites. And I'm proud to say it started at our Shabbat table in Pico Robertson. <laughs> Sorry, it I had did, to. I had did. to add that, Amanda. I had to add that. Uh, but <laughs> you know, w- w- you said something that's fascinating. You're really a movement of the street. You just don't get satisfied with the the virtual world of Facebook activism. You're out there on the street, and that's that's kind of novel. I think so. And thank you for saying that. We are very active on social media and we've been able to reach so many people there. But yeah, this is a grassroots activist movement and we are not going to stay home. We are going to reclaim our seats at the progressive table. Right. You use the online to go offline because it's offline yeah. that really makes a difference because the Women's March, the the iconic nature of the Women's March is in front of tens of thousands of people and making speeches outside, I mean, the day after the inauguration. And when is the next event? What's, what are you looking forward? The January 19th Women's March. We will be, as I just said, at 20, in 20 different chapters. As of now, people have been reaching out asking to start new chapters, so we'll see if new chapters start growing. We're also doing teach-ins. We've announced that we're going to be doing teach-ins prior to them. We're still, still trying to figure out where all the leaders will be uh, doing the teach-ins. We have Ann Lewis confirmed to do a teach-in in Washington, D.C., for anyone who doesn't know Anne, she is an absolute icon. She was Bill Clinton's White House communications director. She was the director for policy and planning at Planned Parenthood. She's on your board. And she is she, on our board she, of directors. I mean, she is just my my femspiration in literally every way. And so to have her doing a teaching about what anti-Semitism looks like, looks like what bigotry against other communities look like, and how you know the real intersectionality, which is when you look at Charlottesville and you see people chanting, Jews will not replace us, they're not actually talking about Jews. There have never been any number of Jews that could actually replace white people in America. They're talking about Jewish activism for communities of color and for refugees and for immigrants. Mm-hmm. And so when you really, if you really care about intersectionality and you really care about you know, the different oppressions and different bigotries that intersect in a way that harm various communities at the same time, you have to talk about the Jewish community. And so the teachings are going to talk about this and why you know, targeting Jews is the same as targeting communities of color and vice versa. Obviously, communities of color are facing challenges that the Jewish community is not. And we are very cognizant of that. And we want to fight for those communities, you know, as if they are our brothers and sisters, because in, in so many respects, they are. You know, I don't mean to compare in the same way in terms of the contemporary um, issues, but hate crimes against Jews are on the rise in exponential numbers. And the vast majority of religiously motivated hate crimes in America are against the Jewish people. And so these are the conversations that we're going to be having before the Women's March so that any of our activists who are faced with any bigotry in the space know how to respond. Well, you know, my observation from the first time we spoke to now is that a year ago you spoke about 
uh, bringing Zionism into the progressive world. And what I'm sensing now is you're bringing the progressive world into Zionism. I, that is a, a goal. It has to go both ways because mm-hmm. I have so many friends who are committed Zionists who no longer feel comfortable in progressive spaces. And I also mm-hmm. have so many friends who are, you know, activists, progressive activists who really feel like they can't even go into mainstream Jewish community organizations. And that is a problem. I have an idea for you, Amanda. I have an idea. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, your next board member. Who is it? Barack Obama. I'm sure if you've you considered it. you call him it. and pitch him, <laughs> there are, there are, we have a lot. I don't know if he has the qualifications, to be honest. Would he say yes? We need, <laughs> I, mean, I don't he, know. You tell me. He, well, he always claimed to uh, be really, really pro-Israel, that all his ideas were for Israel's good, even though many of us disagreed with so many of his policies. But apparently his heart was always in the right place. God knows he's a credible progressive would be uh i'm sure certainly true yeah yeah i mean i'm i think he would be supportive of this movement i have to say i think he would i think he understands what zionism is and what it means to the jewish people um whether he would ever consider being a board member i honestly don't know uh, just in case he's listening to this podcast mr obama this is officially the pitch for you to join the board of zionists you've really come a long way amanda i will You've come a long way. You should email me at amanda.zionist.org for Barack. Oh, and, and if anybody who's <laughs> listening would like to be part of January 19th, they should just get on uh, your website and all the information's there? Yes, zionist.org. Zionist.org, Z-I-O-N-E-S-S.org. What were you going to yeah. say? Um, I was just going to say it's Giving Tuesday and we're growing and we hope that everyone will support in whatever way they can. It doesn't have to be money. I need your bodies. I need your commitment to social justice issues, your commitment to the Jewish people. And I want you to show up because every person that shows up, really, I mean, this makes the biggest difference. Well, on that note, what a mitzvah you're doing, Amanda. I'll see you in Florida. Thank you, David. I can't wait to give you a huge hug. Likewise. And we'll have Take another care. Shabbat together. <laughs> Sounds good. Great things happen when we have Shabbat together. That's true. That's true. Okay. I know. I mean that. Talk to you uh, soon. Thank take you. Care. Bye-bye.